0: to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and psychic and author Ms. Aida, author of Who Do Justice Magic, and binaural production engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great. Monthly co host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And monthly co host Kat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. If you are interested in becoming a contributor or being a part of this show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Bill Ottman. He is the founder and CEO of Minds, a crypto social network. Thanks for coming on. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. So uh, what made you want to create a social network?
1: I think that I've always been interested in bringing people together and sort of the power of crowds. I used to organize music festivals back in the day and... You know, basically seeing the internet emerge and social media emerge was actually at first a little bit scary to me and just sort of noticing the anti social effects that it was having on society, but then I realized that there's this whole open source internet freedom movement within the internet. And that it sort of was inevitable and and totally necessary for more ethical networks to take over. And so I think it's really important that ethical networks emerge and, you know, don't exploit users. So um, it just seemed like this. I mean, even still, there's not really a mainstream social network that is open source or privacy protecting. And so it's uh, that's kind of shocking to me.
0: So, so define ethical for me. Like, what do you mean by that?
1: I mean that it respects the user's freedom in terms of transparency, access to, you know, understand the application that they're interacting with. Um, I mean in terms of privacy and not getting spied on. I mean. Preserving digital rights generally, which could include freedom of speech, um, and sovereignty generally, like basically applications and tech companies that put user control first.
0: Hmm. Um. So with the privacy. Like, how do you protect people's privacy on a social network when you're putting everything out publicly?
1: Yeah, I think that there's different kind of layers of privacy. So just because you're putting certain information out publicly doesn't mean that you want all of your browsing habits across your browser to be shared with the app. So like, for instance, when you're on Facebook, they're spying on you everywhere you go in your browser, mostly, even if you're not on Facebook, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're pulling and extracting as much data as they possibly can from you at all times and using that for all kinds of purposes that we don't even understand. So, you know, just because somebody wants to be public to a certain degree on the social network doesn't mean that there's not a whole other realm of data that should be protected. Additionally, you know, sharing personal information shouldn't be required of the social network. So we don't require any personal information to sign up.
0: Mm-hmm. With that though, then how do you verify if the person's actually who they
1: say they are? Um, I mean, you know, impersonation is like re true impersonation is, is actually illegal. Um, so, you know, that's against our terms, but we don't, I mean, we, 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 we don't, if, if, if it's reported that somebody is imp- impersonating somebody, then, you know, we'll take a look at that. But I think that people kind of have the right to anonymity and anonymity even by the u.n is considered a universal human right
0: Hmm. interesting how about censorship like how do you like how does any social network get past the censorship that different governments put in place like i mean i'm assuming that, that that your social network is worldwide but like in a country like china where everything is being censored um are you able to work around that type of restriction
1: uh no i mean we our our app was banned in china hmm. so users can you know they can use vpns and there there are ways that they, mm-hmm. that they can get access but we're not going to compromise our principles to cater to authoritarian policies so you know, that is, it's unfortunate because I think that the people in those countries definitely deserve access. But, you know, in a sense, I think it's uh, counterproductive to cater to authoritarian policies just in order to get access.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there any way to fight
1: that? Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean sure there there are ways to fight it but not really you know po- there's poli- you know you can lobby those countries to alter their policy but I think that that's a very long-term effort to get you know countries like North Korea or China or Vietnam and you know a lot of a lot of these countries have very strict laws around what people can say on the internet and i think a lot of the struggles that these countries experience are because of these draconian laws and hopefully someday that they'll understand that this kind of uh fear about letting people speak freely uh is actually harming their countries i do actually think that long term it's going to become more clear that you know, it's a really important benefit for your society to allow people to speak and they can actually bring a lot more stability to your culture. But I, you know, I don't expect these, these people to necessarily grasp that right away. It's going to take time.
0: Have you ever considered incorporating a workaround to their censorship in your app? Kind of like, um, uh, I forget what that browser is that you know also Tor. acts as, yeah Tor kind of acts as a VPN and a browser. So have you ever considered maybe yeah, I putting mean, that's, like that into your app as
1: a VPN?
0: Well, I mean, people can already that? do
1: that. People people can already do that. Like there there are ways to to do that that mm-hmm. doesn't really need to be on the application level. I mean, there's you know that that's something that people in those countries should do so that they can access many apps that are banned in their countries, not just mines. Hmm. So, you know, you might want to access mines dot com if you're in China, but, you know, there's literally thousands of other apps that you would want to access as well. And so but I mean, in terms of you know, there 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 are things that we like we're a fully open source, so, you know, we encourage Um, people can actually create their own version, their own social network based on our code. And I think some people in China have actually done that. Um, And then, you know, in terms of like peer-to-peer, decentralized infrastructure, I think that, you know, that's coming along as well. But, you know, ISPs are going to, be able to stop that in a lot of scenarios even if you are running on a decentralized infrastructure they can kind of limit your ability to access certain interfaces to those peer to peer services but i mean you know people are are getting educated pretty quickly and it's pretty easy to set up a vpn so mm-hmm. i'm sure that i'm sure that most people are are doing that
0: right yeah i mean a vpn is Fairly simple. D- do you think that these countries though limit people's access to even VPNs? I mean, if I'm China and I know that there's VPN products out there, then I'm just
1: going to limit right. people's access to it. Yeah, I would imagine so, and I would imagine that it's. I, I've never, you know, I would. Part of me wants to just go there just for the experience of, of trying to get on. i probably, it, i I think it is more difficult than. You know, just getting a VPN, um, but I haven't personally experienced it. Um, it's probably worth worth some some energy. It would probably even be good for us to put out put out some blog posts about you know the easiest way for people who are living in these countries to to get a hold. Like what what VPNs are the best route and whatnot,
0: hmm.
1: and what's going to be the easiest.
0: So how about, um, you know, like how Facebook tries now to monitor um, false information that people put out, propaganda. Um, do you, Does your network do that? and um, Or do you just let people put out whatever they want to put out?
1: Yeah, I mean, we typically stick to the First Amendment in terms of the underlying philosophy of what our content policy is getting at. So, you know, no, we're not we we don't have like centralized fact-checking alerts and whatnot. We're really trying to let our users make those decisions for themselves. And we but we have been working on uh, a build your own algorithm tool which enables you to basically select some different customizations on like what types of recommendations you would want. So for instance, do you want to get recommended people who are different from you? Do you want to go outside your echo chamber? Do you want to see more controversial content or less controversial content? So, you know, really putting it in the user's hand, like their tolerance for controversial users and information because I think a lot of people say that they don't like echo chambers, um, on the right and the left, but the reality is that most people love their little echo chambers and you know, what it means to leave your echo chamber is actually a lot more intense than you might think. Um, because there's some crazy people on the internet and there's, you know, a very wide spectrum of ideas and, you know, different, different tastes for humor and all sorts of weird, weird little niche communities around anything and everything. And so when you really tell yourself, I want to break my echo chamber, you know, I want to experience ideas that are different from, you know, what I'm normally seeing. You know, I actually do think that that is a, a very good exercise to go through and to force yourself to experience ideas that are totally exotic to what you are typically experiencing. I, 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 but, you know, people need to sort of strap in and get ready for that. I mean, we all know. I mean, the Internet has... Like when we all first got on the internet, it was the Wild West and we were going all sorts of crazy websites. I think that most people had that experience and, you know, more recently it's become much more of a a tame experience in these silos of big tech and, you know, but, but I do think a lot of the spirit of the internet is in that sort of wilderness where, you know, it's, it's, it's a crazy world out there, and there's a dark side of humanity. And but if if we want to address that dark side of humanity, we really do need to confront it. We can't just ban it. When you ban content that you know just because it makes you uncomfortable, or because it's deemed misinformation by you know whoever, that really just you know even the the peer reviewed research even shows that that just pushes that conversation to kind of more polarized little echo chambers in other sites. It doesn't actually solve any problems.
0: So, you you know, I don't know your age, but I remember, you know, I go back to pre-internet days when I used to have to log into like BBSs to to access things and then you know after that when the internet got into like not really full swing but it sort of opened up to everybody um you know the the i mean it was interesting like i mean i definitely saw things i wish i'd never seen <laughs> and um you know it, and it did show a lot of that dark side of humanity and, and now the internet is kind of like disneyland
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, Um you know, so so not you know, people are not really exposed to any of it really anymore. You know, there I I guess there, to me I think there should be some type of balance between the two. You know, I think people need to be exposed to things that make them uncomfortable, to get them out of their, you know, small box that they've stuck themselves in, and yet there has to be some type of level of safety too. You know, for for children and things like Char-
1: that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that, you know, you do you do want some guardrails. <clears throat> um, and, yeah, but, you know, there, there are certain sites. Most social networks are not, you know, don't in their terms allow anyone under 13 um, because you need a lot more controls in place. I mean, it's only even recently that Facebook has been trying to roll out more kids focused versions of the app and so yeah I mean it's it, it's all just about preparing people for what they're what they're in for and giving people really good controls to not see what they don't want to see and just making yeah making it very clear what you're going to experience and I, I think that reframing, The whole experience is really important like when you sign into twitter most people are like ready to get triggered you know they just want they they want to go in there they want to get upset they want to post their you know slam on somebody else it's like left versus right all of these gangs sort of mobbing each other and that's just like the vibe that's the frame of twitter that's that that's what twitter is sort of subtly encouraging but and and they sort of have to do this because their you know their policy is very restrictive in itself and is sort of inherently alienating a lot of people i mean you you know people get banned for twitter for you know saying learn to code you know that became this big sort of troll and you know anyone who said learn to code would get banned or you know, there's, there's a number of examples of that. And so I think reframing it into really understanding, like, how do we depolarize the world? How do we, um, you know, create a less hostile environment? And it's a little bit counterintuitive that you would allow more intense speech to create a less hostile environment, but it's, it's it's actually kind of true, um, because it has a lot to uh, for, well it has a lot to do with the tone of the app. You know, people have this. You know, people want to troll on big tech because big tech antagonizes them. So you know, just the 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 way that the the power dynamic is set up. It just, you know, no one, people have no respect for them because they don't really show the users any respect. But I think that when a network shows that initial respect, it sort of neutralizes the tone and the, and the vibe a little bit. But then additionally, like long-term, you need that vent in order for people to be able to kind of get their... You know, get their concerns out of their system. I mean, if if you don't allow that, it 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 causes society to sort of get pent up, and I and, and there's a lot of research that is that is proving this. So what what big tech is really doing is making it the alternatives problem, and they're just pushing the problem under the rug, and that's having a really negative effect on humanity at large. You know, you ask yourself, why are we so polarized? Well, I mean, our primary communication platforms are literally going ban happy every day. You know, even for stuff as sort of reasonable to discuss as like different ideas about COVID. Doctors are getting banned. It's getting labeled misinformation and then, you know... A couple months later, it turns out that it wasn't misinformation. And it's just like time and time again, they're, they're just pouring gas on the fire and creating this social tension when there are much more reasonable ways to address it. I mean, it's fine. If you want to show different like warnings on content or different context about content and just kind of visualize the debate, show that this is a controversial post, But don't just tell people what is true and what is false. First of all, you're wrong half the time. So you've already proven that (laughs) you're not really capable of handling that job. Um, But it would be much more reasonable to crowdsource citations on both sides of the debate. There's many different contentious issues that people are arguing about. And I think that that would just be much more reasonable than saying this is true, this is false, when they've just proven that they're not capable of handling that responsibility. So, you know, in a sense, we are trying to build a more mature network where we're framing the experience around kind of having more of a tolerance for controversial ideas. Because long-term, we think that that's absolutely necessary. And so we're not, like, you know, trying to get kids... On minds, you know. Maybe someday we can have some sort of initiative and and way to to kind of get into that. Because I, I've, you know, children are absolutely essential, and their education is is obviously super important. But it's just not our immediate focus.
0: Um. So, you know, I, you know, one of the things I'm thinking, like, like you call it a social network. You know, and I'm like, when I think of social, I'm thinking you know, of different groups of people when they're little cliques. You know, to me, it almost sounds like what you're trying to do is create almost like a human network.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think bringing that, bringing that humanity back into it, remembering that there are humans on the other side of that screen and, you know, humanizing people that you disagree with or that you think are awful people. And that, you know, that, that really is what it comes down to. One of our advisors, Daryl Davis, who we just wrote a huge research paper with, he's famous for uh, convincing hundreds of members of the KKK to leave. And he's black. Um, and, you know, mo- to most people, the idea of going out and befriending somebody who hates you is just a ridiculous idea that and they would never consider doing it. But at the end of the day, Daryl proves that that is the solution actually. So, you know, you're not going to make the world a better place by shutting down the conversation and, and making people feel like their ideas don't matter. Even if their ideas are really bad ideas and are toxic You, you know, just psychologically, it's pretty obvious that that's not going to work. The only way that you're going to start to to resonate with that person is if you sit down, listen to them, you know, explain that you respect their right to exist. You know, these are very basic human communication cues that I think big tech has just decided don't matter enough to them.
0: And you're right. You know, um, a, a while ago, maybe a year ago, I interviewed somebody. Anyway, he, he, he was sent to me as possibly being Q. So I interviewed the guy. I never put the episode out. Mm-hmm. But when I interviewed him, and he was definitely a hardcore not guy, he definitely was not Q. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I learned from him by the end of the interview I felt bad for the guy because this guy was a guy who lost his son to a drug overdose and was just looking for somebody to blame and that's what he latched on to Mm -hmm. was that whole conspiracy thing Um, and I think that's what happens is um, there's two things that happen one is some of these groups that that, um, you know have bad agendas or or whatever or any type of agenda look for vulnerable people that are hurt and give them somebody else to blame and then the other part of it is that some of these groups you know the idea of social just people that that are lonely and just want to feel like they belong is there any way to expose those type of vulnerabilities for what they really are and make people aware of them so you don't fall into those traps
1: yeah i mean the first step is just in uh, enabling a space for those for people who are kind of in that situation to have a communication mechanism so i mean yeah it's 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 really just step 1 is Providing the platform for change to occur if there's no platform for change to occur then change is not going to happen so you really you know whatever ideology people are falling into whatever conspiracy whatever um, whatever good idea whatever bad idea it's just it's very basic communication like this, this isn't really complicated. And this is what has been, is really disturbing to me about the sort of state of things. It just seems like we're having the wrong conversation and we're not approaching this from, you know, the most simple kind of first principles where, you know, we, we get a lot of this sort of moral high ground coming from, big tech and a lot of the media who supports these restrictive policies on big tech. And they're sort of acting as if they're doing something for the benefit of humanity in terms of censorship. And, you know, ultimately there's a cost benefit analysis that you have to run because I'm not saying that there's no harm that can be done from you know, true misinformation or, um, you know, extreme content. I think that content does have the ability to affect people and, you know, propaganda is a real thing on every, on every side. I mean, in a sense, all media is sort of propaganda. And so, but, but that's why it really comes back to education and it depends what your time horizon is for, for your goals. So, I mean, if you actually long term want to make society less polarized and more educated, you really have to give more access to information and and have less censorship. If your time horizon and priorities are, are very short term, you know, you're just worried about PR and, you know, not having the media come after you for hosting X, Y, and Z piece of content, then, you know, you're going gonna... <sighs> to, because when you, when you just stamp out say a piece of COVID content that is currently deemed to be a misinformation, you know, that that's just very short term thinking. You're also not considering any sort of academic view of something that w- was wrong like why why is false information i mean i understand in certain contexts it, it can actually be illegal but you know <laughs> who is deciding well first of all yes there are things that are true and that are not true but to actually enforce that is just an insane proposition first of all people are wrong a lot of the time and they don't you know they made a mistake they don't they didn't mean to they they shared something and they thought it was they thought it was true everyone makes mistakes i mean come on we don't we don't all know the the deep deep truth about everything that we're sharing and you know a lot of times there's satire there's intentional fiction that has a a purpose there's all of these different edge cases that I mean, are even under attack. I mean, even sat satire itself is sort of being scrutinized mm-hmm. and, uh, is being attacked as, as a reasonable form of expression. So, you know, I, uh, I wish that the big, and the thing is that these, these companies know exactly what they're doing. You know, they're, they're very aware of this dynamic and, they know that they're not going to be resulting in people changing their minds or any kind of Hmm. de-radicalization.
0: So when you're um, running this, you know, like what do you think actually about one of the things that, that that has obviously has started happening is people breaking off into these social network apps that limit themselves to only a certain type of content like parlor or, This new one that that Donald Trump is going to come out with. So these Mm -hmm. people are only going to be exposed to like, you know, 10% or 5% of what actually exists in the world. And they're just going to focus on that and focus on that and and base their thoughts and all their actions on that limited amount of information.
1: Right, right. Well, that's a perfect example. I mean, (laughs) Twitter literally banned the president of the United States. And what do they expect is going to happen? I mean, he's one of the most famous people in the world. So he's not just going to not communicate with people. So, I mean, this is, this is really the perfect example because you couldn't have a more high-profile person. And so he goes and creates his network. And, yeah, people are going to go there. They want to hear what he has to say. And it's not Donald, but it's not Donald Trump's fault that, you know, he, the whole world isn't going to join his social network. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all that all that he's doing is trying to have his basic communication with with his fans. He he would have been he, there's no way he would have done this if he hadn't been banned from Twitter. It wouldn't have been worth the time and money and <laughs> and energy. But, you know, now he's going to have his little siloed group of people who are, you know, Trump supporters and and they and he should and they and 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 if they like him then then they should go there. They should be very aware that they're in a in a polarized environment. You know, he's prob he's not going to be out there like us kind of trying to deliberately depolarize. Um he's a pretty polarizing figure. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, it's 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 similar with us. I mean, we we do attract <clears throat> a lot of people who are feeling alienated from big tech. Uh, we've done a lot of work to stay balanced and be, you know, as non political as possible. So we have attracted people from both the left and the right, I think, uniquely from a lot of other alternative social networks. But. You know, I, I, network diversity is also a good thing. And so I do think that big tech currently do have the right to do what they're doing under Section 230. But I don't think that that's really p- positive for society. I, I, I tend to think that once a network reaches a certain critical mass, that they sh- should probably be treated as more of like a common carrier more like phone companies and and the supreme court justice Clarence Thomas recommends this as well i mean we've sort of taken the common carrier approach as a smaller network i mean we we have 5 million users and we're doing this already because we think that ultimately it's it's just a healthier direction for any network to go i mean why would you want to limit your potential user base and additionally we feel that there's all this research showing that it's actually a social good to provide a space where people can can communicate because that can ultimately result in in more change so um but you i I think you have to be intentional about it and that a part of the problem with some of these more polarized alternatives is that they they you know they are trying to polarize they're just trying to be the conservative version of, you know, the left-leaning tendency that big tech has. And that's not really productive.
0: Why do you think it is that, I mean, when I was a kid growing up, you know, 40 years ago, it was a different world. Two people could have different opinions and still be friends and still love each other. Now, it's not like that. Why do you think that is? And, and it does seem to, um, you know, come in with the social network. Like, like the polarization definitely really began when social networks really started to become popular and were on everybody's phones.
1: Yeah, prior, I think that's it. Totally- but prior
0: to that, people viewed each other as just other people with different opinions. But we didn't really give a shit if somebody, did, my, my friend disagreed with me.
1: You know, oh, exactly. You didn't have these mobs that were forming in real time, and you know there was more of, there was just more lag time, and there wasn't such a venue for people to to form these mobs and get that live feedback. So, I mean, it seems pretty clear. in this is a hypothesis and speculation, but yeah, that and, and that is. Essentially, what we're saying is that the way that big tech is structured is actually tearing apart the fabric of society. And it is, it's, it's tearing apart that tolerance that we used to have because they are not structuring the apps in a way that enable people to uh, see things from another perspective. There's no, like, user interface qualities, you know. There's nothing on on Facebook that says, like, do you want to engage with people who are different from you? I mean, we actually have that in our interface where we're we're sort of bringing specific attention to this. Because social media is not going away. And I think that regardless, you're going to have sort of more of a, volatile environment because of that live dynamic and just everybody kind is, has the ability to broadcast and, and get that attention. And so there's definitely a responsibility that comes along with that. And that is generally a new dynamic from, you know, pre social media days when, you know, you would have a political argument at dinner, but then, you know, you're drinking beers and you don't really care. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we kind of want to try to bring that back in a way that is not giving up the innovation that we do have through social media. Because obviously there's tons of great that comes from social media in the ability of anybody to broadcast. That's, that, that's not just a bad thing. I would actually argue it's mostly a good thing. I wouldn't be building a social media app if I didn't think it was a good thing that that media is being democratized.
0: You, you bring up some really interesting points. One is the instantaneous response of people's emotions coming out on social media. So sometimes I wonder, you know, um, should there be a limit on how much time a post should be out before people can respond to it? The other thing that I sometimes think about is, you know, the limit of characters that people are able to type. So they're only able to put in a short post that, that's going to dr- limit their point of view rather than you know a well-thought-out long post that people could read. Which also brings me to another thing, which is people now, especially younger people, only want short content and don't want to read something that's long and actually contains information for you to think about
1: yeah you know i think that limiting the you know having different constraints might play a role but and you know you're you were i'm pretty sure that twitter is is working on a, a longer form like blog post tool and you know they did roll in the whole twitter spaces thing and I think that ultimately all the apps are, you know, while they may have short form options, that long form stuff is also clearly valuable to them. I mean, if you just look at YouTube, for instance, I mean, people will listen to multiple hour interviews, like no problem. And YouTube loves that. You know, that's, that's a long time of people sitting on their app. So I think that, yeah, they're, they're, but there's definitely something to what you're saying about them encouraging like lack of nuance and just these quick little sound bites. But I think it's more complex than that and that they also understand the value of long, long form attention. And I don't, so I don't think that they necessarily don't want that. I think that generally humanity is definitely having shorter attention spans and, but, but it kind of goes both ways because again, with the podcast thing, I mean, podcasts have really changed the game in terms of, I think, expanding people's attention spans Mm -hmm. people. I mean, even this kind this is a pretty long conversation and people like that, you know, it's in some, in some ways, you know, if you think about it from like a, even laziness perspective, (laughs) (laughs) it's just like easier to just chill out and listen for a while as opposed to going from thing to thing every 20 seconds
0: right yeah like the podcasting thing though too is um, people would rather listen because it doesn't take as much effort as it does to read because when you're reading something you have to comprehend it you have to visualize it you have to think about it you know in order to get a whole understanding where with um, you know watching YouTube or listening to a podcast you know, they could just kind of lay back and absorb it.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that, yeah, you're starting to see people listening to books much, much more. It's much more passive. You can speed it up. Um, And, but yeah, I mean, people, I'll find myself watching videos of podcasts quite frequently, actually. It's a little bit odd, Hmm. but It is actually quite popular a lot because there, there there is another level of understanding of the little quirks of a conversation to be able to actually see people and their facial expressions. And, but you know, it's um, I hope people keep reading as well. So yeah, I mean, we're pretty agnostic on minds. We, we, you can write blog, put long form blog posts. You can post long videos. You can post short videos. You can post status posts. Kind of, we're trying, we're, we're pretty agnostic to what the creator wants. Mm -hmm.
0: Like, like like for me, for instance, like I, I don't do YouTube because I would get censored because of some of my more controversial guests, you know, they would take that stuff down. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't even bother with you. I, I just stick with my own platform You know, I pay for hosting and I can't get taken down that way. Um, I mean, I have been, um, I've had two computers deleted one day I woke up and both my computers were completely wiped out. I obviously made somebody unhappy. Um, You know, it's not like the FBI really was going to come into your house and take all your shit. They don't need to do that, you know. Uh, They can do whatever they want remotely. Um, and with that, do you think that, that these, um, governments, um, and think groups like the NSA, and I'm sure you're aware of it too, they can go right into your system and wipe out whatever they want.
1: Yeah, I don't doubt that. Um, you know, I think that we have a, a really serious spying issue and we don't fully understand the breadth of it. And, you know, it seems like even all the Snowden revelations didn't completely wake people up. And I don't think that we, I still don't think that we have accountability for, for all of that. And, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately I think that your strategy is, is probably the right one. It's, you know, you, you have to take control of your own destiny and your own, your own content, your own art, host it yourself, back it up, put it different places. Sounds like we got to get, get your, some of your stuff on minds. Um, I, and, I do. I have
0: to, I back my stuff up. I have to send it to other people's houses. It's, it's almost ridiculous.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that we are seeing some overreach with the government's rhetoric on content, um, like specifically, we saw the White House kind of coming after Rogan a little bit, mm-hmm. and that that's pretty alarming because honestly, most of the problem in the U.S. is more with the corporation censorship than the government, which is odd, and other countries with authoritarian regimes... You know, that's odd to them, too, because in their countries, it's the government who is mostly doing the censorship. I, I think that we, you know, we definitely have a degree of government censorship and, you know, they're controlling access to all kinds of information. But. I think that the corporations are. You know, oddly, just. More. I think they're they're just going way further than that than they need to.
0: Oh yeah. yeah, you know one of the things like like with the Rogan situation, I don't know why he took the bait with Spotify. You know, it, to me, you know, they, they give him some money and he took it. He he did this to himself. You know, by giving somebody mom, else control over his content,
1: <clears throat> I would never do that. I would yeah, never think- so out like that. Well, you know, some money is one way to put it. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, yeah, I think that he he probably knew that that was a risk and, you know, he didn't sell it to them. So I I, I think that he, you know, his contract ends in a few years Mm -hmm. and sort of he sort of knew that that was a risk. And yeah, I mean, I think that in like 70 something episodes have been taken down. Um, for reasons that we don't fully understand yet, and so yeah, I think that he would take responsibility. I, I don't think that he's out there crying victim
2: mm-hmm. at all.
1: I haven't seen that that at all. I think he, no, he, he definitely hasn't. he definitely knows the situation that he's in, and you know, he didn't feel like running his whole own infrastructure, and now he's he's paying the consequences for it, but he's also getting the benefits of it, and so it's 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 a cost benefit analysis that he went through and I'm sure that after this he's gonna play it differently and it's also brought up some you know really important social conversations so you know it's good that he did not sell out completely he's he's gonna regain control and probably when his contract ends he I, I would imagine that he will start his own his own operation he'll probably make way more money. That way, or
0: maybe he'll invest in somebody else's operation that can support them. And, and, yeah. and, and I think that's where it puts somebody like you in a good position, because there's there's people out there looking for what you're putting out. They have the same values that you have, and you've already built the infrastructure, or at least they have the model for it. So that person oh, yeah. doesn't have to start from scratch to do it.
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, our yeah, our stuff is totally open source and. You know, it'd be great if Joe wanted to use our code, he could build, he could build his own network. He could, he can use ours. He's on our, he's on mine. Um, and so yeah, we'll see. I think that, you know, it's also interesting. We saw Neil, I think Neil Young rejoined Spotify, Did he? which was fine. Yeah. It was like, he just like snuck his stuff right back on there. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's true. Let me just fact check myself. Uh, But again, I just I, I think that people like Neil Young don't don't really know. Yeah, his yeah his stuff did show back up on on Spotify. I think that people like Neil Young just don't know what they're saying. You know, they don't. They think that they're being a good person by claiming some sort of disinformation and acting like they're doing a good thing by stopping the spread of information, they think that there's harm that's being caused. But like that's what every I mean, typically there's always an excuse for censorship like that. Whether it's right. coming from a dictator or whatever. You know, there's al- there's always a reason. They're protecting people. Right.
0: But like with Neil Young, I think maybe he's just too, was he's too old to
1: really understand. Yeah, maybe and maybe it's his people who are saying it. We mm-hmm. you don't know. He probably has a whole entourage around him of bureaucrats and you know they want him to take a stand and then they convince him and that you know who knows
0: <laughs> there's people out there like lobbyists hitting freaking rock stars up.
1: <laughs> yeah I, I I don't know but it, it's pretty sad pretty sad to see that keep on rocking in the free world right
0: yeah right. <laughs> I'm glad he's back on that. you know because I don't, I don't know. I, 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 that's why you know I have guests on my podcast. Sometimes that uh, I completely disagree with. Right, let them come on and speak what they have to say, and I don't sit here and argue with them. I try to find out where they're coming from. Like with that QAnon guy, if I hadn't interviewed him, I would have never found out that he was just a grieving father who's just lost his shit.
1: Yeah yeah exactly. I mean, I think that people should be encouraged to talk to talk to those type of people. I mean, in this whole guilt by Association complex that we have going on right now where you know if you talk to somebody who has extreme views, suddenly, you have those views. And just like if if you're just for being nice to somebody who may be crazy or have horrible views, like what, oh, you're supposed to be mean to them. I mean, so say say you wanted to interview a a murderer Mm -hmm. who's in jail. And, you know, I don't think that there's I think most people would say, okay, You can be nice to them. And I'm not going to think that you're pro murder. (laughs) But if you interview, you know, someone from QAnon or you interview somebody with some extreme political view or whatever, you know, and you don't push back enough, then suddenly you agree with them. It's like we're, we're existing in this world where it's just guilt by association, no matter the context. Mm -hmm. And I do think that, you know, if you're broadcasting a conversation with somebody who has those views? It's definitely good to do your diligence and you know ask hard questions and you know it's not like you're just not bringing up the elephant in the room.
0: Yeah, yeah. If, like you know, like that, with, with me, it was just building
1: um, a rapport with the guy to get him to open up. You know, right? Yeah, you have to do that in order for it to be at all interesting. So I think that it's fair and I think that that's, you know, Joe, Joe did take some of that criticism where he said like, yeah, you know, maybe I will push a little harder or I will have follow up guests which are kind of showing the other side of the story more and just like have a little bit more uh, intentionality with the lineup and like how things are being framed Because, you know, there is a difference between having a private conversation with somebody who may have horrible views and having a public conversation Mm -hmm. with somebody so that. Yeah, that, that, that does matter a lot. And I think in that public context, when you're literally broadcasting and asking for people to listen to this, then, yeah, bring bring up the hard questions and make sure if this person is a bad person that, you know, you're representing your true view.
0: Mm-hmm. And, he, and he mentioned, like, a good analogy, too, about, like, like you know, interviewing a murderer. I remember, I, I think it was, maybe, I don't know, if it was Gerardo Rivera, but it was, it was somebody who did an interview with Charles Manson, mm. you know? And everybody watched it, you know? Does it mean that that, that he's a follower of Manson? No, but, but right. man, like, everybody wants
1: to know what was going on in Manson's head, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I think the murderer example is extremely valuable because it is that extreme. And it proves that normal people are fascinated by that. You know, they want to know what's going on. I mean, why is true crime so popular? Mm-hmm. Why are the top documentaries in the world about the most insane psychopath murderers, the top documentaries I mean people are addicted to this this type of content, and it's because we want to understand like where that darkness is coming from and like what motivates those people and it's the same type of motivation when you're when you're trying to to interview any kind of person who's 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 different from you. It's coming from a similar a similar place.
0: Yeah. Uh, again, yeah. W- without that, we wouldn't be able to understand those people, that we would not be able to recognize those people. And sometimes too, I think we can learn a little bit about ourselves too.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, there are examples of people who have intentionally befriended murderers who killed their family members. And I think that there was a Ted talk about one specific example of that. I forget. And it just something about radical forgiveness Mm -hmm. and how cathartic and healing that is, even though it just makes absolutely no sense, but it makes all the sense because you have to go and drive at the root cause of your suffering.
0: Right. Yeah. I saw that one.
1: You did. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah it was, it was amazing. You know, like they mm-hmm. ended up like really being friends with the guy who, who committed this murder and, mm-hmm. and in the end
1: it, it helped the family and it helped him. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the, it's the hardest thing in the world to do. And it's, Like, look, we we get stuck into our teams and our tribes and our own egos. And, you know, letting go of that, you know, and in the most simple way, which we're trying to express, is just following somebody on social media who's totally different from you. That's sort of the first step into exploring that. And... Yeah, it's just odd. I, I I think that the the narrative, the predominant narrative now is that sort of this censorship is almost driven by to- like they're claiming to be driven by tolerance, but they're really the least tolerant. Mm-hmm. Tolerance is really, you know, it, it has to include being tolerant to. I it's it's not just. It's, it's the full spectrum of tolerance. I mean, what, do you, what are you supposed to say? There, you can't just say I'm tolerant to, to these people but not these people.
0: And a lot of it ties into uh, consumerism, too, because now ideology is something that people consume. Right. You know, So so it's a money-making thing. Like, the more you're able to push people into a specific box, the easier it is for
1: you to market to them. Yep. Yeah. And there's a lot of tribalism right now. There's a lot, you know, people feel, again, it's, it's all education. I think at the end of the day, um, oh, geez. Sorry. Just give me a (laughs) second. Okay. Sorry. Go for it.
0: Um, yeah, I was mentioning that that a lot of this is consumerism. Because the more that you can pack people into a specific ideology, the easier it is to sell your products to them. Absolutely. Um, is there anything that on your network, like like Facebook, encourages that big time? Because if you, if I post something that's uh, a, a from a liberal point of view, all of a sudden I'm going to get all these different products that have to do with that point of view are people that are put in that particular box. And it, it happens like, um, you know, they, they, they hit people off from all these different – somebody post QAnon thing. Also, person will start getting, uh, you know, products like maybe like QAnon bumper stickers and, or whatever. You know, it's just a, another way for them to sell it. So do you think that some of these corporations are actually creating these ideologies to sell products?
1: Yeah. And I think that there may be some short-term reaction to that, but you know, ultimately you're alienating your customer base, your potential customer base, if you are only catering to a certain ideology. So, you know, in the, you know, the whole idea of like boycotting certain brands for whatever reason on both sides of the aisle is, you know, there is power in voting with your dollars. And I do think that historically that's been an effective measure. And in a sense, you know, I agree with a certain type of boycotting where you're you're refusing to kind of play ball with brands that are, but, you know, as I was saying in the beginning, sort of exploit you as opposed to think one way or the other. I think that as long as a company is respecting basic freedoms, then that's kind of enough for me. Mm -hmm. I don't really care if somebody is left or right or has a certain ideological position, as long as they're kind of giving me the certain transparency and whatnot that I would ask for as a, as a consumer. But right now, what's kind of more popular is this ideological boycott where it's, you know, I'm only going to support brands that I agree with politically. I think that that's pretty short sighted.
0: I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me how, how, how some of these things have become political or so many companies have allowed that to, to happen to themselves too. Which is kind of strange, because these companies are now limiting their consumership from everybody to a certain group of people.
1: Exactly. Hmm.
0: So, before we wrap this up, man, where's the best place for my for for my listeners to find you
1: and find your app? Yeah, so you can find me at minds.com, dot com m i n d s dot com slash ottman. O-T-T-M-A-N, and you can go to Minds.com, you can get our apps on the app stores, or you can go straight to Minds.com slash mobile to download them directly from us and not through the stores if that's um, ideal for you. And yeah, I mean, it would be great to, to have everyone over there. Hopefully we can get uh, everything imaginable fired up and... Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll put a link to to Minds in the notes to this episode, and uh, when I get a chance, I will
1: set up an Everything Imaginable Minds account too. Beautiful. Well, this has been great. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me and, and having an open mind. I think that this this went some important places. It's really um, it makes me want to bring up the interview with a murderer context more because I for me just as soon as that comes up. It seems like everything just became more obvious, you know, because people can have a hard time saying, "Ah, like, why would I want to follow somebody in, you know, this little conspiracy? You know, I'm not not interested in that. But then they say, oh, wait a second. I love watching murderers. (laughs) (laughs)
0: How
1: how does that make sense? So so there's like that sort of inner dissonance. It does. It it breaks through that wall. Same thing. Yeah.
0: Completely. Totally breaks down that whole defense mechanism. Right, right. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on, man. And uh hang on for one second, and I'm just going to play the outro. Great.